0: Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valencourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Hey there, friends. So, how can caregivers? better support their needs. How can we as learn from this, support ourselves, um, nurture ourselves, nurture each other? And these are the big questions. So here's some here's some tips and ideas that I just wanted to throw out that might be helpful for you. And feel free to, you know, take what works and toss the rest <laughs> and and the other pieces, I could probably add pages and pages of, of other ideas. And I'm sure you could too. And, and if you think of things that haven't been brought up, please write them in the comments below this podcast. It's really helpful actually if if folks post a comment in the podcast platform that you're listening to. It, it, it helps other people find the podcast and, and gain some support hopefully through that as well. So, one of the things that uh, one of the first things that I think of when I think about supporting caregiver is really helping caregivers understand the importance of allowing for deep exploration into yourself during this time. I think so much focus is external. And you know, I think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. and and for those that aren't familiar with that, it's, Kind of a pyramid-shaped model, and the idea is that you can't achieve anything at the top without first taking care of these basic needs at the bottom. And so uh, I'm bringing that up because it sounds like a um a luxury to be able to focus on yourself during a time of so much turmoil or uh, managing going on and sometimes even crisis going on. And it is very important to allow for that deep exploration into yourself during this time, even if you make a moment before you open your eyes in the, mo- in the morning, or while you're brushing your teeth, or you know, doing something that you traditionally would do every day, taking a moment to really look within and give yourself the attention even if briefly for a moment can be deeply helpful and, and healing in some ways. And, and when you do that, you know, when I say deep exploration, I know that sound, that's such a broad term. And so what do I mean when I say that? Well, what I mean is holding a space for observation, you know, just noticing where am I at today? How am I doing in this moment? where would i like to be how can i bring that in how what are the opportunities for growth in whatever is is happening on either a big picture or a small picture so that's something that's one thing the second thing that can be helpful is finding the the quote what is the most important thing and quote touchstone so what i mean by that is what is the what is your touchstone? What is the most important thing? When you're caring for your loved one and you're in this this situation, and you're on this journey, when things start to get crazy, when chaos starts to hit, or even when it doesn't, or you know, maybe when you're faced with a uh, an important decision or you don't know what to do, it can be really helpful to come back to the one most important thing. above all else, this this, is the thing that we are going to base every decision off of, that we are going to come back to, um, sort of ground, grounding ourselves. What is that touchstone thing? It might be something like, well, we have a roof over our heads. <laughs> you know, quite simply, we have a home to live in, or we we have food on the table, or my mom is safe. Above all else, she's safe. You know, the the chaotic worlds that is swirling around us may be occurring. The bottom line is she's safe or we have a roof over our heads or whatever that is to you. That can help, again, be your touchstone. And then the more we remind ourselves of that touchstone the more it can feed us as well. It can feed our spirits and get us through some challenging times as well. It it can help reframe. It can help get us out of the the chaos in our mind. So the third thing that I wrote down here is don't set up unrealistic expectations on what needs to be done or how to do it. Now, um, I don't know about you, (laughs) but... There are a few people in my life, probably myself included, that have a, a high expectation about how things are done and what they look like, whether that's because that's what's been modeled to us or we put that idea into our own minds when we think about, okay, I'm going to make this next decision and it's going to look like this. Like I'm going to hire caregivers and it's going it's to look like this and then it doesn't. You're set, you, you can set yourself up for disappointment if you are not being very realistic about all the variety of things that could go sideways. Now, and I, I don't mean to plant the seed that things will go sideways. And I certainly don't mean to plant the seed that you need to prepare for 20 different scenarios. But what I do mean is to invite the opportunity for flexibility into your life. And so in a world that we feel so out of control in and in a situation that you feel that you have no, it's so hard to get a grip on just, again, having any sense of control, it can be really easy to slip into this pattern of setting up these unrealistic expectations about things. And then we will continue to be disappointed. And so this is a really important Piece here is to pay attention to that. Be gentle with yourself. Be flexible with the outcome. Be open to pivoting and change. If there is n- anything else that this world of dementia is teaching us, is, is one, I always say living in the moment. And two, is being flexible, flexibility. And what beautiful gifts those bring, right? That's really when we think about it. They're also very challenging <laughs> to embrace. So here's another, here's another tip to support your needs as a caregiver. Create a support team that includes both professionals and non-professionals. So I am just a big fan of this because I meet with so many people that are in the midst of crisis. There's something They've been barely hanging on for a long time, and then something tips the scales—something big, even something small. But the the, t- the scales are then tipped, and they feel like they're in crisis, or they are experiencing crisis. And then they are both on one end running around trying to gather information and make decisions. On the other end, they're wanting to just shut down and, you know, throw in the towel. So by creating a support team before you're in crisis, you may not even need these individuals for a long time. But the fact is that you have made contact with them, you've developed a rapport with them, you know, their style, you know, how they work, they know you, most importantly, they understand your situation, that little bit of effort and energy can go a long ways later for you. So when I think about those team members, I think about individuals, like, like I said, professionals. So that might include the doctors that, you know, you can trust, you know, if, if you or your loved one are in a relationship with a physician that you don't feel confident about now's the time to start to explore other options. It's important that you feel comfortable and confident with the professionals that you are working with. So it may be doctors. It may be the specialists like neurology or psychiatry. I'm also thinking about those professionals like elder law attorneys or the financial planners. You know, I'm a big fan of, of having a care manager in your corner or a counselor. Those are extremely, again, beneficial relationships for you to establish and then build this rapport with. Now, it may be that like I said before, you you may not even need to see these individuals maybe, you know, once a year or quarterly or when you're in crisis. And that's okay. You have done, you've already done the work then to know who they are. You don't have to be scrambling to find those individuals later. And then the other part of your support team are the non-professionals. Those are your friends and family members and community members and individuals that you may know from different associations or church or places like that starting to pay attention to those individuals in your life that can really feed you and feed, meaning feed your spirit in certain ways is really helpful and I, I often go through an exercise with my clients where we identify these relationships and then we look at what, what are their strengths you know if bob My neighbor is a good guy. He's always said he's happy to help if I need help. You know, what what are his strengths? Why would you go to him? And when would you go to him? Well, you wouldn't go to Bob maybe if you needed to talk to somebody all about your feelings and you were just having a crappy day. He's probably not the guy that is going to sit there and nurture you and feed your spirit in the way that you need during that moment. But Bob's strengths are certainly um, handyman tasks. And I'm realizing I'm totally stereotyping the Bobs out there. (laughs) But Bob is great to call when your sink is clogged or can't reach the light bulb in the, you know, giant ceiling in the living room or a water pipe broke, You you know, things like that. So you get what I'm saying. You start to really take stock of the relationships that you have in your life and where those relationships might benefit you the most. And then, you know, you can even take it a step deeper and have conversations with those individuals about, Hey, you know, you've offered to help and be there for me. And I so appreciate that. And I don't ever want to take advantage of that. And how do you feel if I were to call you someday and just vent? I, I think of you as a person that can listen really well. And I trust that you will set a boundary with me if you're not able to do that. So that's, that's an important piece definitely is creating a support team, both professional and um, non-professional. So the next little tip I wrote is do not isolate. So what I mean by that is I just wanna highlight the importance of connecting and connection. I think for many of us, when we are stressed out, when we're burned out, maybe we haven't slept well for days, maybe we uh, are just feeling like crap, maybe we haven't showered <laughs> for days, the last thing we want to do is go out and connect. The last thing that we have the energy to do is to give more. And so I want to highlight this because it's imperative to feel connected. There are very different ways to connect and not feel isolated. I think most people think of um, automatically going out and being around others. And sometimes that doesn't, That sometimes that isn't what you need. And that's okay. You can still connect in other ways. and And certainly through this whole pandemic experience, people have really gotten good at learning how to connect with others in ways that aren't in person. And so whether that's a text, a simple text, or an email, or, you know, we're certainly using Zoom these days and other platforms. But the act of feeling connected is huge. And I want to highlight also another piece of that is people can be around others and not feel connected. So it isn't just being around other people that gives you that sense of connection. Uh, I, I learned that very early on. I just remember I was in grad school and I was doing my internship at a, a skilled nursing facility, and I remember meeting with a woman. I was counseling her. She lived in the skilled nursing facility in a shared room, and I remember in our meetings she talked so much about feeling isolated and. And it was so ironic to me that here is this woman in this bustling, busy uh, nursing home with staff there twenty four hours a day. she She had no privacy, essentially. You know, people coming and going out of her room. She had a roommate. They had visitors coming and going. there were there was, again, the staff and professional, whether it was activities or housekeeping or the nurses. She was never alone. She was never isolated physically, but she felt that way internally. And that's the piece that I'm talking about is is how do you um, uh, keep that sense of connection going within yourself? For some people, it is being around others and connecting with other people. For others, there's a deeper connection maybe with nature or the, the greater world or someone's spirituality tapping into your higher self and the higher knowing that's what i mean by connection so looking at that for yourself i think is going to be really important and then another thing that i wanted to talk about is um educating yourself you know education is power i i so believe this with again the the amount of folks that i meet with that they tell me i don't i don't even know what i don't know i don't know what to ask i don't know the first steps i i just feel lost i i i don't even know where to start and what i realize in so many of these situations is that people feel very afraid and frightened because they just don't know and so so much of the work that i do is about educating people and it's important to me that every person really understands as many aspects as possible about their caregiving journey, whether that's learning about the diagnosis itself, that their loved one experience is experiencing, or the challenges that may come with that, or the prognosis, or how long someone may live, or the different, how quickly they may progress, or... Or turning it back onto themselves, you know, understanding what it's like to be a caregiver, what other caregivers experience, the stress that you may see, or the questions or the guilt that may arise, or the good days and bad days, you know, just education is power. What You know, I I always remember when my daughters were little, I have this distinct memory, my oldest daughter, she was deathly afraid of spiders. And oh my gosh, we, (laughs) it was one, one of those moments. I think she was probably about five or six. And instead of, you know, freaking out and killing the spider or trying to catch it, we explored the idea of learning about spiders. So We got books about spiders and we watched um, documentaries about spiders and we learned so many things about spiders and it, and it really took her fear of spiders away. Not completely. If I'm being honest with you, she's 26 years old and still (laughs) has a little bit of a problem with spiders, but, but my, you get my point, right? The more we can learn about the things that we're afraid of. The less scary those things are, and the more, the the bigger sense of control that we might have over those things. And then the last thing that I wanted to bring up really is I encourage you to make your own personal list of self care things and and think of those things in like small, medium, large categories, you know, like the things that you can do in, in a quick moment or the things that you could do for a few minutes, or the things that you could do that might take a day or half a day. And what I mean by that is, again, really challenge yourself to do this. It's a really helpful exercise. So it might be something as tiny as a little ritual. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I always think of this. I was working with this client who working on a new mantra in her, you know, uh, a new phrase in her mind that she wanted to just repeat over and over. And, and I honestly don't remember what that was, but for the sake of the example, let's just say, you know, to take a deep breath and repeat to herself, I am healthy. I am happy. I am safe and take a deep breath. You can do that in a moment, and in her case she was forgetting and which is completely understandable is not part of our habit to to repeat a mantra or take a deep breath regularly or you know bring some mindfulness to the day so what we did is we decided to think of those things that we do automatically every day anyways and what she told me is well i go to the bathroom i go to the bathroom you know multiple times a day and so We really focused on closing her eyes, taking a deep breath and rehearsing every time she walks through the doorway to enter the bathroom that she imagined a veil that she would walk through that without her, even knowing it, without her, even having to be conscious of it, this veil was allowing her to feel safe to feel secure, to feel healthy and happy and, and would help her remember to take deep breaths. And so she practiced this and it's amazing. And I I have to admit, I went home and did this for myself and it's just those little things, right? It's those little things like walking into the bathroom every day that you can create these little rituals for yourself. So those are examples of like some small things you can do taking a deep breath repeating a mantra creating a ritual that when you see something or you are near something that it reminds you of that feeling that you want to in- invoke I am also a big fan of using cards I love inspirational cards I love you know those inspirational decks and you can draw a card I I do this probably every day I'll choose a card for the day and I'll take a picture of it on my phone. I'll read it, you know, read something about it. I examine the picture. What, what do I notice about the image that I'm really drawn to? I kind of see it as a gift from the universe or a message from the universe for the day. And that can be helpful. Another thing that, that can be helpful as far as those self-care things are paying attention to your senses the five senses and this is kind of a mindfulness piece where today i'm going to notice the smells in my world you know i'm going to notice when i'm cooking when i'm cleaning when i'm outside i'm just going to notice the smells that i smell today or the sights that i see or touch you know and textures and temperatures and things like that and then of course your personal self-care list can grow. And then there can be the bigger things like taking a trip, (laughs) getting away. Those are always the big fun ones. But there are many, many of those that you can explore as well. So I guess I'll end on thinking about how anxiety can come up for um, folks. And I think that most of us, you know, the anxiety sometimes can come up when we don't even know what to ask for. You know, sometimes there are people in our lives that offer help and we're really good at saying, Oh, thank you so much. I got this, you you know, and, and the reality is that It's important to examine for ourselves what that means and what that looks like. What does that look like to receive help? Are you good at receiving help? Some people are really good at giving. Mostly uh, those of us in a caregiver role are really good at giving and taking care of things and sacrificing ourselves to make sure everything else is okay. And when everything else is okay, then we can be okay. And so this is a real pivot. This is the, another lesson in the journey of Alzheimer's and, and dementias is that, wow, you know, we, we really can't do it all. We really cannot do it all. And, and there's a lesson for ourselves in being able to receive help and or ask for help. And so thinking about what that looks like for you is really important. You know, they say it takes a village that, that to raise children. That isn't just for children. Caring for our older adults and our most vulnerable certainly falls into line with that. One person cannot do this alone. And so I encourage you to remember that piece. It's uh, okay to receive help. It's okay to ask for help. Be gentle with yourself always, in all the ways, (laughs) because you won't always be gentle with yourself. And so bring it back, bring it back when you lose it, you know, bring it back when you didn't do things just right, or you waited too long, or um, you didn't take some advice or whatever, be gentle with yourself. All right. So with that, I hope everybody has a wonderful day. And I will see you next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.